It was so relaxing and peaceful and yummy, and it, it was awesome. It's 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 really nice to be pampered, and and I would imagine for most people, well, who knows, most people, whatever. I particularly enjoy when my face gets pampered. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there were actually a few funny moments just as a heterosexual male, because um, you know, uh, most of the time your eyes are closed. Every once in a while, you open them, or at least. I would open them, and then dude's face and mouth would be really close to mine, and there was that awkward moment of like, oh, I think I have to close my eyes again. <laughs> I can't leave these open. It's so invasive and intimate, and I'm going to kiss you. <laughs> why, why, do you, why do you close your eyes? I leave mine open. Well, because he's so close. It's like you either get, you're going to be cross-eyed or... Well, no, I look in the mirror. I look in the mirror in front of me and I oh, watch... Oh, no, I'm talking about when he's in front of me. You know, when he's oh. in the front working on my lip or whatever. He can't, oh. you know, whatever. It, it was really weird. funny. You go there, right? And like the first time I ever did it and it came out, it just looks so neat. Yeah. And I think, why don't I do this all the time? Yeah, that's what I thought too. I mean, I was, it's $8. I'll send... Uh, this wasn't $8. I'll send you a video of um, Russian manscaping that will blow your mind. Of a face... Uh, dude, just the process that they do at these like top of the line men's salons where they're waxing so that, yeah. and I mean it's on. I've never seen. I never even conceived that there was a world that did this until I saw that three days ago, and that's when I was like, all right, I need to get. You know, I didn't get that done because that's that was next like the, level. There's but. a big thing. There's a big thing in New York is just barbershops since the whole hipster thing came up. Yeah, yeah, of course. So you go to a barbershop and they put hot towels on your face. They shave you, shave your neck. Yeah. They shave the back of your head, you know, behind your neck. They, um, yeah. And they take their time. It's really cute. They get scissors and everything. I had a woman do it for me yesterday or the day before. No, yesterday, the day before. Huh. And, um, and I was trying to tell her, I was like, I want it sh faded from my sideburns, faded down and yeah. longer all along the bottom. And she's like, well, I don't know. Look at the I'm like, just do it. Do it. But you can go to a Puerto Rican one or a black one, and you get all the different ones. I went to a Puerto Rican once, and he used a razor to shape it so – Yeah, yeah, that's a video. I intimately that everybody went – you went to a Puerto Rican person. I'm like, why? He goes, it looks so – there's, like a, there's a grade to the fade. <laughs> yeah, but it looked like it was painted on. Everything was edged around yeah. my lips and my mouth and my yeah. chin. Everything yeah. looked like it was perfectly painted. Yeah, you'll enjoy this video then because it like takes that to a whole other – it's just like, what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can't unsee that. But what was funny is uh, – so, so um, you know – I still hold on to the quality of vanity that has me quite particular about um, who will actually cut my hair. So I wasn't there for a haircut, and I actually got a haircut a couple of weeks ago. Um, but but without going into too much detail and revealing the the great lengths of my vanity, um, I drive a, I drive a bit to get my hair done. And make fun of myself about it all the time. So, so in going into a barber shop that was very hipster men's hair, hair. I've never been in a. It felt like a bar or like a cool bar slash tattoo parlor, but it was all just um, men's hair. You know, so yeah. I, I had never been in a place like that. It was actually refreshing because I've always been in salons, which is dominated by chicks and um, by women. And um, and the 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 quality of cackle is <laughs> just different, man. 
<laughs> and I did, it was just funny sitting in the chair and all you could hear was the guy talk and it was uh, it was so foreign yet so familiar it was it was it was enjoyable and so so anyway so uh so this guy's he's super cool and we're hitting it off and the right music everything about this place was cool and uh uh and then uh so he finishes finishes uh you know trimming my beard and I'm like, oh, you know, maybe this this could be my new spot. Then he goes and just, like, decides to, oh, I have to, you're in my chair. I have to comb your hair, you know, like, to, to have it match the beard I just did. And he just, he, it was so funny just to watch my whole experience go, wah, wah, wah. Because he combed it like my mom would comb it, kind of a thing, where, <laughs> where it's like, oh, dude, you had street cred up until you touched my hair, and now I'm, like, looking at you cross-eyed, like, how are you even thinking that it's cool for me to walk out of here like this? <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> then I had a good laugh at myself. Did he smell like a barber? <laughs> Did he smell like a barber? I find all my barbers that I go, I have this one in Williamsburg and this one in Chelsea, they smell like barbers. They have a... Like all the face... Creamy toxin stuff. things. They, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, they smell really good. Yeah, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't smelling uh, foul. <laughs> I, do, I did enjoy the way I smelled the rest of the afternoon and how greasy my neck and face felt. Oily. <laughs> Uh, but um, yeah, but uh, I had I had some good laugh. At it's funny when you come across those little areas of of your life that you have these boundaries or, or or the walls. So so he parted my hair like three centimeters off, maybe more like a half inch in the wrong spot, and it was just like, oh, we are done here. <laughs> I liked you up until you potted me your hand. You might as well have like licked my your hand and tried to smooth down the co the cowlick <laughs> like my father. That's what it felt like. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, but I, I'm sure I'll end up back there. It was cool. Well, this is what you know. What New York is like. There's a place in the village called the Blind Barber, uh -huh. and you have to book. I rang up once and said, "When are you open till?" And they're like, um, it's like a clothing store at the same time. It's a whole bunch of coffee shop. And, mm -hmm. and I'm like, and he goes, oh, we can fit you in maybe next week. I'm like, what? For a beard trim? What? You're a barber. And he goes, yep, next week. So it was like a seven-day, six-day, five-day wait. Yeah. So we can do that. We can do this. I'm like, wow. So, yeah, a lot of the hipsters are getting all their hairs done proper. And yeah. You know the part, he put a part on your head. Now they shave the part so that it looks really defined. Yes, 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 of course. So cute. Yeah. I have a, a friend of mine who uh, actually just uh, got his first hard part, so to speak, where they actually, you know, shave it in. <laughs> yeah. I was talking about how he had the most fantastic haircut going. He was so excited and he actually had taken the, like, hipster Kool-Aid, so got a progressive haircut. And he's a dad, so he's like in his probably late 40s, early 50s, so was feeling really proud of himself for younging it up. And then was like, the last thing was the barber uh, had to do a hard part, which he had <laughs> apparently never done. <laughs> and totally ruined. It was so bad. He, he put posted selfies of his hard part, and it was just like a kid who had never touched a razor before decided to just shave a line in his dad's forehead. <laughs> it was so, it was so bad. That barber message just felt awful because everything else about the haircut looked fantastic aside from the fact that there was this like double wide triangle <laughs> going down uh, the forehead. It was horrible. You could do a coffee table book of bad haircuts. That would be fantastic. Yeah, my um, favorite comment was when I came home and the lesbian lover of my friend who hated me because she used to say, I see the way you look at my girlfriend. I'm like, but she's gay and so am I. I know. She went, wow, it looks like your barber chewed it off. Mm. I was like, she thinks. <laughs> you chew your hair off? Ooh. Yeah, so... 
Well, they, they was still, is your beard longer or so did they trim it right down? Is it longer? That would be interesting. Hey, can you make well, it like, longer? <laughs> no, they can trim, trim around the edges and let it grow longer or they can just cut it all one leg. No, no, man. I, I, I'm young at heart. They're, they're giving it some flair. So it's, it's growing longer towards the chin. Oh, that's good. Nice and kept on the sides and fades to the skin fade up top. That's good. That's what I wanted, and she did it all the one length. Well, you so. have to go to people that are of the age group that you want your haircut to represent. You, ha you, you can't go to like... Yeah, but my beard's curly, remember? It doesn't uh, grow straight. It just grows curly. I'm pretty sure that a lot of beards are curly. Oh, really? No, I see a lot of beards that are grown long or straight. They grow like a long hair. I know. I'm pretty sure that people have dealt with people that cut beards all day long can handle your curly beard. However, go to the place where the people that are coming out have beards like you want to look, not to the place that's convenient and cheap and I just, come out I, of there but as I, old. <laughs> I just don't think I can grow one like that because it'll just get curlier and curly and get thick and full rather I'll, I'll than. I'll send you pictures, man. Long. I know. I. I've looked up lots of stuff to have different beards. I've had different shapes and cuts and lots of different things. But I mean, you've been around unless for a I while. straighten my beard, it's just going to be around. You know, it's like a black man's beard. It just gets full and thick. Yeah. When I would like to be able to brush it. Oh. Wow. You know, like ZZ Top. <laughs> you know ZZ Top. That's what I'm talking about—a long beard. Yeah. You're really going for the spiritual guru look? No, a hipster. <laughs> There's nothing hipster about that. <laughs> yeah, I, w I wouldn't keep it. I wouldn't let it go gray. I'd dye it. So I'm not spiritual. I mean, if you have a long brown beard, you're not a guru. Mm. It's only when you have it gray. Mm. So, darling, what are we going to talk about today? Well, let's, let's set a little intentional space first. And I'll let you do the cheerleading of setting the intentional space, but I, I always find it's helpful to tune into a space of frequency that our nonsense can get out of the way. <laughs> that takes some strong intentions. The nonsense of enlightenment. Mm. That's a pretty cool podcast. Enlightenment Nonsense. There's a good book. So... Set an intent. For the expansion of the mind, for the expansion of a sense of realization and understanding that liberates any limited belief systems. An intention that helps an awareness of um, any self-limiting beliefs and understandings to release, resolve, dissolve, delete. An intention that the conversation within the podcast helps to enlighten the mind through understanding, through humor, through levity, through insight. So the intention that the conversation and understandings from the podcast help reinforce the value of the listener. Mm. 
the worth of the listener, the truth of the listener. So that all truth can be seen in all things. Every conversation can be used to understand oneself. Every moment can be seen. Everything in you exudes a brilliant sense of truth and beauty. So that maybe our conversations will highlight that an understanding, sense of humor, joy, a relaxation into one's individual self. I know that I am the perfection of I am without any qualification. whatever that I am is and that the process that unfolds is perfect as well. And a final intention to get out of your own way, to realize where you stand within your own expansion that limits it and let that go. Mm. It made me smile. <clears throat> Excuse me. The uh, <laughs> my eyes are closed, and when I opened them, you know, you're speaking to that which I am. And the first thing I saw, like, uh, it was the clock that's like nine thirty-five am. For a moment, I had this. <gasps> oh, am. <laughs> Whoa. If only it was 9.31, it could have looked like 9.3 I.M. Right, right. I was thinking that. 9.3 like, I.M. close. <laughs> there is truth in everywhere all the time. Mm. I mean, I crossed the street to go to the bank, and between the buildings was the big sky, and then the sky was similar to a sunset, but not really. It was just twilighty. And just the expansiveness as I looked up, just this huge – Sky, like, oh my God, we walk around with this infinite, giant infiniteness above us all the time. Like this, it's just there. It's kind of like your crown chakra. It's always there if you want to go into your crown chakra, but it's actually there above your physical body as well. And I'm like, and I just look at it and I thought, and I felt myself just let go into the depth of space that is always there, that is easy to look at when you look up into the sky, but the depth of it. And then, and I looked around, and then as I look around, I felt the same depth of space in the buildings, on the ground, and in my hand. And it was like, oh, my God, there's just – everything is just filled with spaciousness, you know? And that spaciousness is just so peaceful and loving and fulfilling and full and wonderful. You know, it's like swimming in an ocean and feeling whole. So it's, it's everywhere, every moment. It's absolutely in the 9.35 a.m. Because it's you. It's just you. It's what you want to bring to the moment. You want to bring yourself to the moment, then there's only self. Everything is the self. All is the self. There's nothing but the self. And then you get to walk around in your own infinite spaciousness. That's kind of cute. That would be a good Swami name. I am Guru Infinite Spaciousness. Come and reside in me. I'm uh, not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do it? Yeah. Stick you? to your strengths. Don't name yourself. Yeah. <laughs> You're not the nickname guy. <laughs> yeah. I don't even remember what you said. It was just long and confusing, and for sure I would get it wrong. <laughs> so, uh, I said Swamini infinite spaciousness. <laughs> but we have to put it in Sanskrit so it becomes even harder. Swami. Mm. There you go. Mm. You added some Aboriginal clicking, I see. Yeah, that's because I, I wanted to unique it up. Yeah, I wanted to include the seven continents in my name. 
There's seven. Are there? Are there? I don't remember. Right when I said that, is it seven? Is it five? Are there ocean? I don't. Uh, it's been a long time since I had to think continents. <laughs> yeah, there's seven. There are. Yeah. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yep. <laughs> it's been around the world. Yeah. I was like, uh, Africa. America, America, Australia, Antarctica. Mm. Was that six? I think it's, he did. I think he left off India. India's not. That's right. A, it's part of. I don't remember. It's a subcontinent. I, I really. Europe, Asia, Africa, America, America. Five, Australia, six. Antarctica, Antarctica seven. There you go. And thus concludes. Today's geographical lesson <laughs> from Swami. I don't remember the fucking name. <laughs> Infinite spaciousness. Of course, I could make it longer. I'm sure you will. I can put in a shri 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 shri. Just rub on it a little. It'll get larger. Yep. I am shri 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 shri. Infinite spaciousness. Shante shante. I love those words. They have energy in them. I really think I can. You can feel it when you say it. This try so and stay focused so that people who have no idea what you're talking about, including me, can pay attention to what it is you are saying. Uh, Shanti is a Sanskrit word that says peace, and you just recite it: Om Shanti, Om Shanti, peace and God. But so many people, millions of people, have done it for thousands of years that it's sort of stuck there in collective consciousness. So it's really good to attune to it, but. So, transmitting joy and peace and love and compassion. In spite of today's topic. The Democratic National Convention. <laughs> um, so, I thought a good one to, to, to uh, address today was something along the lines of misery loves company. And I, I share this for my own personal space, uh, whatever that means, um, I have navigated, experienced, um, been um, extremely familiar with depression. It's something that I've navigated and lived with for, I mean, this life. I don't recall not feeling that way. I would imagine, though, who cares, but I have some stories that absolutely impacted me at an early age or events, you know, that, that seemingly kind of set the tone from which I related to the world. And, uh, and, and so I attribute a lot of that to, to this depressive state. In one sense... Um, one avenue of a spiritual path, so to speak, for me uh, was this idea of a payoff of being alleviated from lower energies. <sighs> At, am I boring you? <laughs> no, I'm, it's just shifts of movement and my body's doing it. <laughs> no, yeah. Actually, my head was turned. My neck was pushed all the way back to my head, and my head was faced up to the ceiling. So, mm. um, so, so as I was saying, so, so in one sense, there, there has definitely been been a, um, been a, a, a quality that fueled this search to know myself. That that, in all honesty, was more like the search for the antidote, the search for for. Um, the cure, so to speak, or, or the, the pill I could take that would make it go away. So in, in many sense, uh, a lot of the, the, the practices or the approaches or the, the, the lessons I would take on was to, to really to, 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 to fix um, that which I deemed as a problem, right? So I, I found over time that, that the problem isn't it actually hasn't been a problem. Um, 
but in fact, um, as as I've deepened in my in my relationship with myself, um, it continues it, it continues to show up, and in many ways, the further I look, uh, or the deeper I look, or the or more authentic I am when um, the seeming depression arises. So when when it when it comes on. When, when events or life triggers it, or not, and it just seems to arise. Um, and, and for most of my life, there's been resistance to when it arises, as if it was something that I could not handle, or did not want to be with, or, or had an aversion to, and would fill my life with these reactive um, or this, these responses to that aversion, to that fear, to that discomfort, um, and, and created these patterns of resistance to, 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 to the misery, right? And in many ways, therefore created this, this identity, this egoic, res- this egoic response to, um, the misery arising, and became that pattern of resistance. So a personality was adopted as a response to, or as a reaction to misery, that I identified with those habits so much that it became a part of who I thought I was. And to me, that recognition afforded the deepest spiritual growth or awakenings is recognizing those reactive habits to the aversion of depression, of misery, of discomfort, of pain, of, you know, uh, of, of my wanting to control life from a very limited perspective. Um, and so, so what has proven to be most helpful for me is in, and it'll sound cliche, and and I, I don't want to gloss it over as if um, it's easy or comfortable, but embracing the discomfort and welcoming the discomfort and recognizing that as it shows up and and you're reactive to it, when the space or or your your um, your energy affords to continue to look and unravel that which you're reacting to um, uh, have, have provided the most profound insights into um, the limited experience of life I have walked up until that, that moment. So, so, so what I was welcoming in today as I've, I've been navigating um, one of these seeming like the planets are aligned and whatever life happened in such a way that it was like okay a new a new layer of of my own misery so to speak has has been alive and present and um and being able to witness but recognize as it arises that there's um there's a process that helps me through that where where I almost feel more responsible with with uh, you know the the misery as opposed to um, reactive and averse to it and and I find in my conversations with you you have a very um, healthy experience as well of being able to witness and approach um, we'll, we'll keep calling it misery just to stick with the theme but approach that miserable quality seemingly um and be able to to witness it even while immersed in it you know it's almost as if i think we were even talking yesterday that there's two characters going on there's the one that's being mindful and meditative and contemplative and 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 is is in in healing mode so to speak alongside the the um, the childlike reactive persona that that is that is going through the show as well. So 
that was what came to mind for today. I I um I agree. I am only resistance. Yeah, right. As as a sense of self, I am only gripping. I'm only resistance. Um and I don't I don't think we're taught if you were to teach a child that experiences arise and fall and that you could objectify them and watch. You can still enjoy them and have them. You can still be here and do everything just like normal. However, you're not involved in what's happening. So there's a place or foundation or a sense of self that is peaceful and calm and silent and sweet that you can go to whenever you need to. And I think most people don't know they have that. You know, the kingdom of heaven dwells within you. I don't, most people don't know. They, they think that is a Xanax or a beer yeah. Yeah. or a, or a sex or a getting drunk. That's the only place to numb their experience of themselves where there isn't, there's another. And if you were raised to say, you know, things are going to arise as you, in front of you, and you can watch it, you'll still have them, but you can choose between what is the truth or not. Because a lot of times when things arise, the story that goes with them isn't true. Yeah. You know, like if you're depressed and sad, say there's sadness, people are like, oh, I'm really sad and you cry. But if you really sit with sadness, it's a beautiful feeling because it is so deep way, way deeper than, than, than laughter, per se, or anger. Anger is whoa, very up here. But sadness, if you sit with it, has this quality of depth that is unique to itself, that you could sit and go, oh, look at sadness, look at that there and that there. But because we're taught, because we're there's the misunderstanding of saying resist everything in life. Resist everything you see. Resist everything you feel. Resist all the senses. You, you attach yourself to it by the resistance. It becomes who you are by the resistance. You know? Yeah. And it's, we don't even let ourselves have joy. Joy comes and the resistance to losing it. Oh, this is a really good one. I want to keep it. I want to keep it. There's your resistance. Because you need to be as equanimous, equanimity, equanimity um, with the things that are feeling, make you feel good as things make you feel bad. And it's really weird when I look at the difference. One is expansive and one is contractive. That's the only difference. Some are really intensely contractive, shame, anger, guilt. Really, it's an energy of like so sticky. It's so, you know, they're like little black holes that just pull you in and you're on. And then you look at other things like joy or sweetness or kindness or they're not so sticky, but they're expansive. They, they diminish your sense of who you are, you know, but then. Because you know that, there's a part of you that feels that, you don't want to lose it. So there's your grip that, that just takes away from that experience. So I, I think misery, depression, sadness, pain, hurt, and all of those are just, it's the same mechanism for everything. You just grip onto what it is you see. And because we do it for so long, the, the practice of meditation and introspection when you watch it, you have to rebuild that foundation in yourself. So it actually feels like you're extricating yourself. You're pulling yourself away from who you always thought you are. So then there's sadness comes up. It's like, oh, yes, that's who I am. Oh, let me meditate. I've become spiritual. I understand. I have a technique. I have a, a practice. So I'm going to sit here. And maybe you get one, two, three percent away from the feeling and you become separate to it. And there's a sense of joy. But it's a very difficult thing to do because you're building a foundation of nothing. 
<laughs> you're, you're remembering that you're not that, but you're not creating anything for yourself. So it's it's very difficult, but it happens, and it's and it's not really difficult because even that's just gripping. You know, you just keep reminding yourself, "I'm not that," and and you become that foundation away from. It. Now, if, if you were to start with a child. And give it that information, allow it to see that, you know, if there's sadness, it's okay. Have sadness. Watch the sadness. Explain the sadness to yourself. What does the sadness mean? What does it hit? And to notice how you want to attach to it and tell yourself it's the truth. It would be a different experience. I mean, even your language would change. You know, I find... Um, <clears throat> imagine having a... Being with someone and, and then you look at them and you're like, wow, there's a whole bunch of annoyed energies coming up. You know, there's a whole bunch of annoyed energies. And it's funny because I want to blame you. I want to project it yeah, onto you. Yeah, I, yeah. I want to tell you that you're making them happen. But you're not. You're actually helping me find them so I can delete them. So um, can you just give me a minute while these annoyed energies arise and I'll, I'll take complete responsibility and, um, and use it to um, – <clears throat> deconstruct myself so right. i'm just going to get rid of them and you need to come back to the person you're free of the annoyed energy and that person is still perfectly allowed to be who they are as they were before because you're letting yourself be who you really are and then it works out perfectly you know within that is is at least as i related to it <clears throat> um is a lot of the the uh, foundation of non-violent communication of which I'm not extremely well versed, though I've danced with derivatives and offshoots of nonviolent communication. But what what I resonate most with, and you, you were just outlining, is is as feelings arise, we are so familiar with habituating or or, or the habit of reacting to those feelings. At, uh, from their external source and then getting lost in the stories that go along with the feelings. And there's something very liberating, the process of recognizing when feelings arise and being able to speak or name the feeling. Ooh, anger is arising within me, right? And, um, and being able to speak to where the anger arose from, but from a personal space. Oh my gosh, when you did that thing to me, I told myself this story that you don't care about me. And so because you don't care about me, or that was the story I was telling myself, there's this immense level of fear that's arising within me. You, you know, you, you like take all, you like disempower the, 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 um, the, reactive, the reactive nature when you externalize your problem and bring other people into it as if they were the cause of it. And that energy that exists between people when they feel threatened or defensive or, you know, it just, it compounds the issue. But when you're able to name the feeling you're experiencing and it, as well to actually be able to identify where in your body, like, Ooh, I'm feeling anger. And right now it's like, oh, it's really strong in my navel. Being able to have a relationship to it as if it's not you, but you're the witness of it and t speak to it and talk talk about it and and um and own own the relationship to it as exclusively yours it's not like some universal um you know i often say just because i'm feeling angry at how something went down in the record store i'm dating myself record stores don't exist <laughs> actually they do but uh you know, like someone walks into a record store and says this particular thing or reacts this particular way and I lose my shit because they offended me. Whereas like there's five other people in the store, one laughed, one thought nothing of it, one, you know, like, but the same thing seemingly happened and our reactivity is exclusive to our own experience. So when feelings arise, there's something very empowering about being able to observe and watch and identify and allow them to naturally run their course without uh, enacting the resistance and ultimately empowering or defining yourself by them. When you're free of the resistance and reactivity 
to me that's yeah. that's where the the, the beauty uh, and it sounds really easy so yeah, because, yeah. because other people because we all don't do it together it's really hard because you could be with someone who helps mirror annoyed energy in you say and then you are there processing that you're aware oh look i want to be annoyed i want to lash out i want to control the situation i i want to you know i want to do something because this annoyed i want to get rid of this annoyed energy and the only way i can do it is to say you know shut up you're annoying me piss off right right but you don't. And you're like, well, I own the annoyed energy. They didn't make it happen. The potential was always within me. If I didn't have the potential, it wouldn't arise. So it's mine. They mirror it. I bring it up. And then I own it. They're and I say, very convincing. <laughs> well, of course, it's always because we've all got a deal about never to know ourselves in front of each other. And then to have that and say, look, oh, I have um, some energies arising. I just need some space. And they go, what do you mean? What are you talking about? You just want to leave me. And then their abandonment energy comes up. And you're like, yeah, I just need to process it. Why? What did, I, did I do something wrong? And then their guilt and abandonment and shame energies come up because they know something's happening and they don't know. It's really difficult if both of you aren't on the same page mm. because um, the difficulty is trying to own it and deal with it at the same time as navigate and negotiate yourself in the marketplace, in the world, you know, where, where you could say, look, I just need to deal with this for a minute or there's energies coming. You can do it completely quiet. You don't have to. It becomes, in my experience, it becomes no one ever knows and you're dealing with it all the time and your mouth just chats and no one ever knows that you're there dealing with hurt and pain and sadness and regret and, and shame and you're processing them while at the same time having a conversation. It your becomes, Facebook page, you look like you have this amazing life. What do you mean <laughs> you're processing misery and you're depressed all the time? I know, but, but I mean, <laughs> they won't even know it while you'll sit with them. It gets yeah, to a point yeah. to be like that, right? But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's like, you know, I need to just go to the bathroom. And you go in a cubicle and lock the door and you're like, none of this is true. This isn't real. I don't, because the feeling is it's their fault. The feeling is that person made me upset. The feeling is that you make me feel not good enough. The feeling is you're acting a certain way and makes me feel unloved. I mean, you can take it to the height, you know. You could be with your lover as they're sleeping with another person. And you'd be like, wow, I'm feeling neglected and unloved, not good enough and abandoned. And deal with it while they're doing it, depending on the level of liberation. You <laughs> yeah, want. we just we just skipped levels there, bro. <laughs> yeah. Dealing with the levels. One moment we were in the office trying to navigate, going to the bathroom to take a breather, and the next thing you know, you got someone sleeping with my woman. <laughs> and you're negotiating. You're an awful guru. <laughs> well, just think think about that. You've lost. As, you just lost your G card, homie. I know. But just think, think about that as a, a spiritual. I'd rather not. Of like, this is what's arising for me. This is how it feels. So I can delete it. But it does not mean that you then accept it. You don't have to accept it. You can say, no, this is not what I want. This is not what I like. You know, if you don't like to eat. Uh, <sighs> say, uh, you know, a lot of spiritual people are vegetarian. You know, Buddha said that, you know, if a bird dies in front of you, you can eat it. You know, there was some sort of about, uh, ideology about accepting what is offered because you can't create yourself and say, no, I'm a vegetarian. I can't eat that. You know what I mean about whatever's offered? But you can be a vegetarian, but if you go to someone's house and they've cooked you something, how do you say no you know, my ideology, my, my feeling about that is that it's okay to accept everything that life offers, but you can have a preference. So you're there and they offer you a rabbit and you're like, okay, you can eat the rabbit if you want. No one knows. And then when you leave, you don't eat rabbit. You know, when you're walking down the street and you want to have food, you eat rice and beans and you're vegetarian again. So there's no uh, personality that's choosing, you know, I'm pretty sure that's something around Buddhism like that. You know, if a bird dies in front of you, why can't you eat it? 
is is the whole koan, you know. But it's like, what if the bird dies in front of you, and then your le- like woman starts feeding some other lover in the bed? Wow. It just got messed up today. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, like, you can use every You went, like, on this, like, crazy trail of... <laughs> I'm talking about taking responsibility for feelings, whether it is a gross, over-the-top sensation of what, you know, what most people would find really, really hard to difficult and difficult to deal with, and what's not so difficult. I mean, what? You think life's not going to offer you opportunities to dig the deepest, deepest levels of your abandonment and the deepest levels of your betrayal and pain and hurt and all your past lives and energies that are there to cleanse you out. You think, you think life is only going to be like it's all pretty and flowers and butterflies and, and rainbows? No, life, if you really choose to deconstruct yourself, you have to go through and take out all those energies all those feelings, all those seeds and potentials of all of that, you have to take them out by experiencing them and feeling them, you know? But per se, you could get to a point where your lover could make love with someone else and you feel joy because they're joyous, they're happy, they're loving and being loved and enjoying themselves and you can have that same experience. And in fact, I know people who do that. In, in the gay community, there's a lot of people that have open relationships where they love each other, they're together, committed in a life, and they allow their sexual expressions to be whatever they are because they don't relate it to emotionality. They don't relate it to if you love me or not. Most of the time, the sexuality is based on a validation or a, uh, an inadequacy or, you know, if you sleep with someone else, you don't love me. How can that be true? If, you've, if you do this and have a good time with someone else and really enjoy it, you don't love me. Nah, how can that be true? It can't be true. Though if you feel like you don't satisfy your woman and someone else does, there's, there's your feeling of like, you don't love me. But whether you choose to go that far and deal with it, you know, it's up to you. You don't have to. You don't have to do anything. And you could have that happen Delete all the feelings and then say to yourself, you know, really, don't grip anything and then move on and say, this is not what I choose. I choose to be with someone who just wants to be with me. Just like having a partner that's into spirituality, you know. If you don't want to have a partner that's into punk rock and sh- shooting up heroin and, and hanging out at bars, why would you stay with them and experience those feelings of abandonment because you really want to sit in a temple and meditate. No, you have a partner that mirrors your values, your feelings, your truth. But it doesn't have to value your validation and your lack of abandonment. Shouldn't value any of that. Because that's just kind of like hiding from yourself. The energies that need to arise anyway. So yeah, they could do that. And, how, and, and, and think about how many people experience that I mean, if it's so like, oh, it's horrible and bad and people do this to each other, how many people have affairs on other people? How many marriages break up? How many people are dishonest and lie and cheat? Everybody, all the time. You know? Everybody's trying to learn the lesson of letting go. That's what suffering is, I think. Suffering and misery are there to help you unattach yourself from it. Because it's a lot harder to unattach yourself from joy. You know, you don't walk around in a joyous state saying like, "Mm, let me objectify this joy. I need to let go of it because it's not true. and Let me be my essential nature. You know, but misery, ooh, pain, the death of love, ooh, that makes you go like. Well, ironically, I would would suggest um, that. That at, at, at the core level of that which we're talking about, that is absolutely true as well. Well, absolutely and true. That sounds really like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so let me rewind for a moment. But it's this it's the other side of the same coin, your attachment to a joyful state. And in many ways, uh, being driven to experience that joy fosters fosters the um, the misery as well. So 
I, I, we've actually talked about this and experienced this. So, the, so there's something to be said as well. It's like another level of the Kung Fu of recognizing that which brings you joy is fleeting, is passing, and there's nothing true about it if it comes and goes. So any, any um, attraction or, um, 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 not addiction, but whatever, to that, that joyful experience is, this, is the same investigative um, or, or contemplative uh, masterpiece waiting to, to bring you closer to your authentic self. It just seems like uh, misery um, is, is, is uh, it doesn't feel as good, so it sort of takes center stage. Yeah. Whereas, well, it, it, yeah. being thrown into yourself, you know, like something mm -hmm. joyous, you know, like, oh, I missed the sunset tonight. Let me mm -hmm. just contemplate my sense of self-worth and purpose in life is not as as potential doesn't have as much potential as the love of my life was just killed in front of me by a runaway taxi god why why and look at myself you know pain and suffering is a is a conduit is 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 a doorway is a match is is something that can spark the, the the journey to look and go, who am I? Why am I here? Because you could fall in love with someone and all of a sudden all of you is just knowing what love is, the unity, the truth, the peace, the, the, the connection, all of this complete sense of that and then boom, that's taken away in either in betrayal or abandonment or death, which has to happen anyway. Anybody you love will die. It's taken away from you and you're left with yourself to go, wow, wh who am I now? That's the purpose, I think. That's what throws you into yourself. That's the, the greatest instigator of self-discovery is pain and loss and misery. If you choose, you could just drink instead, you know? Do the whole cliche beer cans and pizza pints all around the plate because she left me and she doesn't love me and all that and drink whiskey and blah, 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 just like in TV. I shouldn't have let her sleep with my friend. Friend? <laughs> I should never have slept with her friend. But she knew it was an accident. Why did she leave me? You can use that opportunity to go like, well, who am I? What have I done? Why did this happen? How can I look at it differently? How can it empower me? What do I feel like a sense of a loss of self? Am I really less? Because no one can abandon you. Only yourself. If you have abandonment issues and you love someone and they leave you, they're going to bring up your abandonment issues. They're not going to abandon you because you used to live without them before and you were whole. And then they come into your life and then they leave and then you're like, my life is less. I want to kill myself because I'm worth nothing anymore because now I don't know who I am. It's like, no, you're still the same as you were before you met them except this energy, this really core, strong energy perhaps of abandonment or betrayal or loss has arisen and you've attached yourself to it. And it is such a painful, separate sense, uh, limited, contracted feeling that as you attach yourself to it, you become that. And then you think this is the truth. And yet the spiritual journey is to go, you know, that sacred yes. Yes, it's happened. Yes, it's for a reason. Yes, let me in, look into it and see what it means. Yes, I'm purposely attaching myself to abandonment and misery because they're not here. You know, can I look for my wholeness? Can I look for my fullness and my peace and my love in myself whole without anybody around me? Can I do that right now and let go of my attachment to what it meant to lose this person? And yeah, great. It sounds really easy. But even me just talking about it for the last 15 minutes, I have such pain in my chest. Mm. All through my chest, but back of my head, I have grabbed my mala now and I'm rubbing my chest with it thinking – because I know that feeling. Uh, one of my core issues is abandonment and betrayal. You know? Abandonment, betrayal, and loss. I got the trifecta. You know? 
It's the really good spiritual trifecta. Betrayal, abandonment, and grief. I know those three, like my children. But um, <laughs> to realize yourself away from those feelings, it eventually happens anyway. It might take you know, a normal person that isn't sitting and watching and, and dealing and choosing to consciously be peaceful and loving and to themselves. It might take months and months and months and months and they come back to a sense of equilibrium, you know. But then they've just endured the suffering. And maybe they've learned a little bit. Maybe they've got a little wiser from it. But they're those opportunities where you can actually make massive step forwards in, in your path. Massive amount of let go. Massive amounts of losing a constructed ego. You can get to a place where you look at that with joy and love. And you can even say to the person, thank you. Because who I am now, I have learned so much from you. Thank you for expressing who you are in front of me so that I could learn abandonment. I mean, it sounds really stupid. But it can happen. If you are to truly love yourself in this moment, then you must truly love everything that's happened to you in the past. Just logically, you can't look at the past and say, oh, that was a horrible thing, because then you would have to be saying to yourself, who I am right now is a, is a part of being shaped by that horrible thing, so I don't like what I became from it. You know? That bad thing happened, and look, my life is miserable now. I hate my life. Well, you could look at that and love yourself and look back at that thing and go, well, that helped me love myself. It's always up to you to recontextualize yourself. And it happens naturally. Loving yourself means loving your life. Having no regrets means you are happy with who you are. You know? They mirror each other. Wow. My chest is so painful. <laughs> I don't know where to go. It's in the, I feel like I've done weights with my back. Mm. <clears throat> so misery is a good thing if you don't attach to it, if you look what it means. And even recognizing where you are attached to it, it's, it's an aspect of the journey, you know, that, that, that if you're in an investigative, investigative sounds so formal I know it is weird um, but it, it and it can happen any last night coming home on the train being stuck you know and I was with someone who lives in Manhattan never has to catch a train and you know and they started to get annoyed about you know having to catch trains and and no trains and just the heat and you know after the waiting for the second of a third train trip home they do a lot of work at nights and shit like that. He just shut down energetically, like standing on the station. He just went really quiet. And I thought, and I could tell he was really annoyed or something. And then I watched myself in regards to that. And I watched myself wanting to ask what's wrong. I watched myself wanting to say, did I upset you? Did I do something wrong? I watched myself to the point, and even then I didn't watch it all the way. I stopped at one moment and looked at him and said, I'm sorry I live so far away. Like, I'm responsible for your pain and suffering. It's ridiculous. But I still said it because I just, it was such a strong energy. And then in the end I just took a deep breath and thought, how do I feel? What's happening for me? And I went quiet, went inside, and there was guilt, shame, pain. The most ridiculous things was being said to me. You know, he doesn't want to be with you anymore because you live so far away. He, he doesn't, he's reevaluating the relationship with you because he has to stand on a train station. Like all of these things I was saying in my head over and, and then I just kept processing them. And then we didn't speak. We didn't speak for the next maybe 30 minutes of train ride, getting trains and getting home. And even when we got home, didn't speak. And then 
I sat with him and said, are you okay? And he said, I was annoyed. I just shut down. I didn't know what to do. And then I explained my experience. And he was like, what? Why would you be having those feelings? But we shared them objectively. Mm. He said, I don't know what to do when I get those energies and angriness and annoyance. So I just shut down. And I'm like, wow, when someone shuts down on me, it's abandonment. It's my fault. You did something wrong. I'm going to leave you. So then we both processed it with a, with a moment. We just sat. And I, and, I, and I was like, and if I hadn't done that, what I would have wanted to do would be pull him out of it, try and entertain him, talk to him, tell him a joke. Well, you know, it's because interesting. I, I would want him to not be shut down on me. So it would be me in resistance. And then he probably would have got more annoyed, which would have proven to me that it was my fault. So I would have played out the belief system was, oh, he's upset and it's my fault by trying to make him better and him getting worse. But because we both went silent, we got to deal with it. There's an interesting uh, meme or, or a little video clip that, that's been making the rounds of, of uh, the difference between sympathy and empathy. Whereas, whereas, and how really, uh, um, uh, disserving, disserving, whatever, lame, <laughs> sympathy is in comparison to empathy, where, where empathy being that you, you, um, invite yourself, um, I don't know about invite yourself, that sounds very, uh, invasive, but where you align with the emotions that someone is going through and, and are able to um, identify similar experiences that you've had that elicited those emotions and be with them um, in a sense of like, oh wow, you were feeling abandonment? Abandonment sucks, man. I'm, that, uh, that's awful that you were feeling that. I know that feeling. You know, there's this relatedness that sort of disempowers the separation. There's there's this sense of like, oh man, I know that feeling. I've I've been there. Um, what can I do to help alleviate that feeling in you? Without getting lost in the stories and and the shame and the blame, it really affords um, transformation. I know for me, even discovering empathy ha has has been huge for me. It's like a skill set that that. Um, I'm very unfamiliar with, honestly, until I chose um, to make it a part of my relationship. It's, you know, I think uh, in many ways I was uh, programmed, so to speak, to, to, as I think a lot of Western males are, it's like feelings and emotions are, are, are a sign of weakness. So distract from them, move them along, you know, like avoid them, repress them. And, and, and this very perverted version of an adult shows up. And, and, uh, and cultivating empathies has had a profound impact on, on e even my relationship with, with my woman. It's uh, being able to enter into her world and, and be with um, what she's going through and, and sort of like in a kindred spirit not in a, oh my gosh, you feel bad? Well, what can I do to make you feel better right now? Or, or let me distract you, or let me tell a joke, or I'm not comfortable with these feelings, so we need to make them go away. But actually being okay with the feelings and, and, and recognizing um, a familiarity with those feelings, because they're universal. You, know, you might not have been triggered by what triggered the other person, but you can relate to the, 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 the experience and... Uh, yeah, so empathy, empathy, which sounds like what you guys are doing, um, is huge. It's interesting how uh, it would seem like a natural progression that that what what we uh, educate children with it has to shift at some point towards a more like authentic. Like, okay, if we can plant the seeds to have extraordinary cross-cultural intercommunicative, you know, like men, women, different, you know, like people, this huge planet where there's all these different belief systems and ideologies and, and cultural reference points. If, if it would seem that learning how to communicate in a way that is disarming and empowering 
would be like, let all right, kids, we're in kindergarten. Today we're going to learn how to empathize. You know what I mean? Like, like, like real education, not like, and now we will program you to be products of the state. <laughs> you must learn to count and serve. <laughs> no, it's, it is a, um, <laughs> Can you hear about prejudices of the education system? <laughs> yes. You must recite everything I've told you to know if you're smart yeah. or not. You are about to enter into a lifelong of slave and servitude, and here are the tools you will need to produce commerce for us. <laughs> uh, but I jest. Yeah, so, so empathy is awesome. It does take a, a little bit of a learning curve, though. Oh, hell yeah. It does, because it's not your natural way, because everybody does it. Like, to a lot of people, when I, if I uh, say, no one else can make you feel a feeling, I mean, they really need to take time and think about it, because it's not an instant enlightenment. It's not an epiphany. Where you can't tell them when they're having the feeling. <laughs> yeah. But, but even, even still, it's like most people go, no. Yes, they do. No, they don't. Yeah. But, and then when you really take them through it, how is it that someone has power over you and your experience inside of yourself? And they will say – I've had conversations where they legitimately argue saying you can, you can, you can, you can, you can. And I'm like – but that cannot be true. It, logically, it cannot. Rationally, it cannot be the truth. One person can say a joke and five other people can have five different reactions. One can be irate. One can think it's stupid. One could laugh their head off. And that one person is responsible for arising all those five different feelings in that person. Or is it the person? responsible the one who laughs is responsible for the joy and laughter he gets from what he heard and the one who's angry about the joke because it's prejudice or it's got you know offensive they're responsible for their feeling of offense yeah from the joke yeah but you, you tell that to them they'll say no it was your fault yeah so until we get over that until we start to say, I am the creator of my experience. I am my misery. I am my misery. You, you won't be able to objectify it, and therefore you won't be empowered enough to see through what the illusion or delusion it is and let it go. You just won't. You know? Amen, brother. Amen, brother. Can I get an hallelujah? Nah, I, I, don't, I don't do hallelujahs on Wednesdays. It's some weird b religious belief. <laughs> it makes me miserable. <laughs> uh, all right, sweetie. All right. Well, I love you. Love you too. Talk to you soon.